Good morning, Castle Oaks. <laughs> My name is Deb Lawson, as Josh said, and um, we've been coming here for about 14 years, and I'm really glad to be with you, and I'm really glad there's familiar faces in front of me. <laughs> Woohoo! <laughs> so I am going to start right off this morning. We're going to start right into Romans 2 4. The kindness of God leads you to repentance. If you don't remember anything else from this morning, remember this. The kindness of God leads you to repentance. Now, repentance comes from the word metanoia in Greek. And metanoia, I love the Merriam-Webster definition, which is metanoia is a transformational change of heart. So the kindness of God leads you to a transformational change of heart. Notice that it does not say your repentance or your change of heart leads to the kindness of God. Now that would be a perversion. <laughs> Instead, it's the kindness of God that leads us to any real change of heart. So we'll come back to this. But for now, I want you to uh, imagine that you're a pipe. You're, you're a pipe, maybe it's got a curve in it, but you're a pipe that's designed for the love of God to flow through. And um, it starts with him and goes through us, and he is love. God is love. So any real love has its origins in him and then comes through us to other people. If it starts with us and goes to other people and comes back, now that's a give-to-get model. That's a, I give you something, so you give me something, which is more what I call lust and not love. So um, we are designed for, to pour forth the water of God. <laughs> now, I love water. If you come to my office, you'll probably get a bottle of water. Um, I call water the magic elixir of life. And that's because, well, if you're thirsty, drink water. If you've got a headache, well, drink water. If you have a cold, drink water. If your skin is dry, drink water. If you're constipated, drink water. If you live in a mile-high desert, drink water. So similarly, this love of God is the living elixir of life. It's good for anything that deeply ails you. Are you thirsty? Drink in his love. Um, do you feel lonely? Are you thirsty? Uh, are you lonely? Drink in his love. Are you feeling shame or worthlessness? Drink in his love. Are you feeling gratitude for something? Drink in his love. Do you feel like no one sees you? Drink in his love. Do you have a sermon to prepare and you wonder what to say? Just drink in his love. So, living water. First, it restores and refreshes us. Then, it pours out to other people. And finally, it rises back up to God. So, you're a pipe. This is what you're made for. But, what happens is that our pipes get clogs or corrosion. It just happens. It's life in this world. 
We get afraid or experience stress or our goals are blocked or something, and instead of love pouring through us, we take matters into our own hands. Uh, Normally I'd trust you with this, Lord, but this made me really mad. I was really scared. Or you're moving too slow, so I decided to take over. Now I asked Larry if I could use him as an example, and he said, uh, I'll just use Steve Johnson. (laughs) (laughs) So remember uh, a couple weeks ago, Veronica talked about um, a time when Steve didn't do the dishes in the time that she thought he would do it. And so she felt justified in feeling a little miffed, a little cool. Um, The love of God was blocked from flowing through her because of the clog in her pipe. Or as she put it, she did not remain attached. She did not remain in connection with the vine, or in our case, with the water main, right? The living water. So this little clog action takes many forms. I'm sorry, this is a little fuzzy here today. Um, We all do different things when we're under stress or conflict. We sort of pick our favorites. So we might... um, We might avoid, 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 and then erupt in anger, for example. Or we might want to apply a little little godly pressure, um, subtly, of course. Or maybe we're trapped in anxiety rather than just trusting and letting go. Or we're overly people-pleasing, or we hide behind work. You'll find yourself somewhere there. We do these things simply to protect ourselves, and our own clogs feel very justified. um, These are the things that we do to take matters into our own hands rather than trusting God. It it feels merely self-protective and necessary and innocent. But of course, it's not. In Jeremiah 2.13, this is what God says. My people have committed two sins. They have forsaken me, the spring of living water, and they have dug cisterns of their own, broken cisterns that cannot hold water. And it is the kindness of God that leads you back, back to the spring of living water, the water that has healing properties. It's like some kind of super pure Drano or liquid plumber, which is good for pipes but hard on clogs, right? So we've been working our way through the book of John during this period of Lent, and John talks about the woman at the well and other vignettes about Jesus' life. He spends about half of the book uh, in the last week of Jesus' life with... um, with the words of Jesus, with his death, with his resurrection. And then at the tail end of John, there's almost like this little epilogue thing about Peter. You gotta love Peter. Peter is like this glorious mess. He is so bold and beautiful. He is the rock on which Jesus said he would build his church. He is passionate He's devoted. He's eager. He's always the first one to step forward, the first one to get out of the boat, 
The first one to say, you are the Christ, the son of the living God. But as Phil talked about a couple weeks ago, Peter had his own clog action going on. Fickle and unpredictable were the words that Phil used. When Jesus is arrested, Peter whips out his sword or knife, and it turns out it's powerful enough to cut a man's ear off. A scared and angry Peter and a knife. Well, that's what we do too, usually with our words. Then after Jesus heals the man's ear and is led off, Peter follows the group who arrested him. Three times people ask him, do, do you know Jesus? And he says, no, I don't. And all this comes only a few hours after saying, even if I have to die with you, Lord, I will never disown you. So Peter's stabbing wildly with one hand and hiding behind lies with another, digging his own cistern, going his own way, followed quickly by some huge shame, sticky shame. So a few momentous days go by, right? Um, Peter's kind of watching his dreams kind of go up in smoke as Jesus is crucified, confusion, loss, then Jesus is alive again, another, well, I don't know what that means. Um, but somewhere, shame is probably still lingering under the surface. So at the end of John, we read these words. When they had finished eating, Jesus said to Simon Peter, Simon, son of John, do you love me more than these? These what? These fish? These other disciples? I don't know. Yes, Lord, he said, you know that I love you. Jesus said, feed my lambs. Again, Jesus said, hey, Simon, son of John, do you love me? He answered, yes, Lord, you know that I love you. Jesus said, take care of my sheep. And a third time he said to him, Simon, son of John, do you love me? Peter was hurt because Jesus asked him the third time, do you love me? He said, Lord, you know all things. You know that I love you. And Jesus said, feed my sheep. What I want you to notice is the tender reinstatement of Peter. I think Jesus masterfully took Peter in concentric circles, closer and closer to his heart, closer and closer to where that shame was stuck. To get rid of the clogs in our hearts, sometimes we need to be pierced. Not with criticism or demand for apology. Peter was pierced with love, the kindness of God. Jesus drew Peter back to attachment. Peter, do you love me? Peter, are you attached to me at your core? Peter, do you love me past head knowledge? Peter, do you love me past your emotions? Peter, do you love me in your inmost being, the center of who you are? Do you love me? Now, the third time Jesus asked Peter, do you love me? It says Peter was hurt. His heart was pierced 
pierced with the kindness, the loving kindness of Jesus, who will not stop at superficial benevolence. He longs for us to be attached, but that can only happen with deep humility and vulnerability. And each time Jesus responds, feed my lambs, take care of my sheep, feed my sheep. So earlier in John, Jesus has said, I am the good shepherd. I know my sheep and my sheep know me. Now Jesus asked Peter to feed and care for these precious ones of his. We are these sheep. Everyone we meet are these sheep. Feed my sheep. As an aside, let's just notice what Jesus did not say. He did not say, well, Peter, I forgive you for whacking the guy's ear off and for disowning me, um, but don't let it happen again. Now, since I chose you to be the rock on which I build my church, um, let's just hide this little embarrassment from everyone and let's sit down get our whiteboard out, do some serious strategizing on how we can build the church in the world as we know it, which will, of course, become the model for how to build great churches in America one day. No, that's not what Jesus said. The only model for the church is some broken and humbled servants, pierced with the kindness of God, gently caring for God's dearly loved sheep. It is the kindness of God that leads to deep heart change. Now, this is Peter's shift from being fairly okay to knowing that it is well with my soul. I want to share with you a few examples from my own life that drive home the kindness of God leading to a change of heart. The first comes from my dad. Here's my dad when he was in his 40s. I grew up on a farm in rural Nebraska, and my dad was a farmer, so he was not always dressed like this. Well, one day when I was around 16 years old, some Jehovah's Witnesses came to our door, which had never happened before since that I can recall, because we were so remote. So my dad meets them at the door, and he goes outside, and he's talking to them. Now, it's summertime, and the windows are open, so I can hear every word that they're saying. You have to understand that when I was 16, I was very passionate about God. I had a very hip living Bible, which was underlined in multiple colors. I had read Know Why You Believe, which was an apologetics book um, with teaching you how to defend your faith with logical arguments. So I'm listening to this, and I'm thinking, oh, Dad should have said this. Oh, he missed that point. Oh, he should have said that. So I'm, my, my juices are like totally flowing. I want to be part of this conversation. So very sneakily, I go out the back door and I sidle along the side of the house and I nonchalantly appear and I join in this conversation. And I want you to know I was great. <laughs> I made all my good points and was super proud of myself. Although I was a little taken aback that they didn't instantly change their beliefs on the spot. 
So we go back in the house, me very chuffed with myself. And my dad turns to me and he says, honey, you'll never win them with your arguments, only with your love. It stopped me. It pierced me. I knew instantly that he was right. And it humbled me. It broke a little of the clog out of my, the righteousness in my own pipe. It was the kindness of God through my father. Our family members are great mirrors for us of things we wouldn't otherwise be able to see, of how the love of God gets blocked in us. Here is my own strange and wonderful family. It's my husband, Larry, my younger daughter, Maria, uh, with her husband, Joey. She's got two kids now, but this was taken a couple years ago. My older daughter, Joanna, and her husband, Chris. On the far right is my son, Dennis, and in the front, yours truly. Um, each and every one of these people have helped me with my pipes, <laughs> just as your family will, if you listen. So I remember once when Maria was in uh, third grade, I think, I asked her the question, what's it like to have me for a mom? Okay, I deserve what I got, right? <laughs> it's scary and dangerous to ask this, what's it like to have me for a mom, for a wife, for a husband? But it can also be very productive, so write it down and ask somebody sometime. <laughs> well, when I asked my daughter, she said, very gently and thoughtfully, well, sometimes I think you want me to be who you want me to be and not who I am. Do you see what she revealed there? That one of the clogs in my pipe is me and thinking that I know best. It was a clog that was completely invisible to me but she showed me by her kind honesty. My older daughter, Joanna, caught me one day, and I think she was late teens, and I was fussing about something, um, trying to convince her that she should do something different in a different way, a different time, I don't even know, something very momish, I'm sure. And she stops me and in the midst of my earnest self-righteousness, and she gently says to me, Mom, you need to trust me into God's hands. I don't remember the details, but I do remember desperately wanting to argue with her. Uh, but she was right. I was not trusting. She pierced a bit of my clog. The thing in me that was preventing the love of God from being free to flow. Now, as I was preparing for this talk this morning... I was talking with my son, Dennis, on the far right. Um, and he suggested that I share his story with you. And I said, really? And he was like, yeah, I think it would be really good, Mom. So we adopted Dennis from Russia about 27 years ago. Here he is back then. He was about eight when we adopted him and now-ish. Um, Dennis was a delightful, fun-loving, active little boy. But not surprisingly, 
we found out he came to us with clogged pipes, a certain cluster of issues. In fact, as with many adopted kids, he had what they call attachment disorder. After suffering deep neglect and abuse from his alcoholic birth mother, he then spent six years in an orphanage. Now, an orphanage is good in that it provides for your basic needs, but it also creates an every-man-for-himself kind of attitude. His inability and unwillingness to attach made it easy for him to lie, to steal, to do whatever uh, would serve him in the moment. His truster was completely broken. In fact, one of his first English words was snuffer. It's not fair. <laughs> snuffer. It's all part of attachment disorder. So over the years, well, we could tell you stories. <laughs> We had hard times. We also had good moments. But all the while I sensed that though we had adopted him, he hadn't adopted us yet. There were brief flashes of hope along the way, but then the opening would close and the trust would vanish. He didn't seem to adopt us. When would he finally adopt us or choose God? It got to a point seven years ago when he finally decided on his own that he had no family. While we were gone from the house one time, he came in, took all his photos from the fridge, from the frames, and was living on the streets of Denver, often under a bridge near Union Station. Detachment. But a shift occurred in Dennis uh, later that year, around in 2015, Joanna and Chris were getting married in England. I asked her if she, I asked Joanna if she wanted him there, and she said, "He may be weird, but he's my brother." So yes, <laughs> Dennis thought that was funny, so he let let that stay in. Um, <laughs> he wouldn't answer our calls, but somehow she got through to him with her request. And with our scurrying to get a passport and ticket, he came. While he was there, Maria and her husband, Joey, invited him to live with them if it got cold with winter coming on. And he took them up on it. He lived with them in Pennsylvania for two years. And I should probably mention one other shift that occurred around then, which I don't like to think made a difference, but it just might have. His mother, moi, decided not even to mention things he should probably do for his own good. <laughs> Well-meaning comments about not drinking or taking meds or compulsive video gaming. Instead of bringing it up in occasionally, I dropped it almost entirely. And now, looking back, I'd say he adopted us somewhere in that time frame. It's just a feeling that seemed to be missing before. The kindness of God through his family opened his heart. I call it an ordinary miracle. These girls, these women, loved their brother, though much, much trauma and dysfunction came into our home through them, through him. Uh, the miracle is that the love of God could come through them. 
They are my heroes. It is the kindness of God that leads to a change of heart. So this is my view of Dennis's story. And he's right here with us today. So I ran it by him to see what he meant by telling his story. Like, is this kind of it? And if I should leave some parts out. And here are his words in response to the story. I did ask him if he wanted to come up and give this himself. And he said, no, 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 Mom. It's okay if you do that. Um, so this is what Dennis said as I scrambled, you know, to write down his initial thoughts really quickly, and he really talks like this. Mom, it's a great story of a man who went away from God and returned to God just like Peter did. It's a man who finally dropped his shoulders and allowed God to know him. Life is a roller coaster. We fall away from the love of God. The miracle is he was there all the time, When I tried to run away from God, he did little things to bring me back. God calls us to love one another. He has a path leading us step by step. And then something triggers you to think, oh, I am important. I am worthwhile. I am loved by God. We will always be this kind of glorious mess, like Peter was, like I am, like Dennis is. There will always be clogs in our pipes. Just set them down when you notice them. Let living water, the love of God, soften your corrosion. But one day, one day, there will be a new heavens and new earth. And this attachment disorder, which is what I call the human condition, will be wiped away. And we will love and trust with abandon. Our pipes will be made completely new and clean. And the love of God will flow in us and through us to one another and rise back up to God with glorious freedom. Now, only in part. But one day, it will be glorious. And we will sing and dance in the love of God, who is Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. 